Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Tell somebody you're sitting next to, I am super duper glad you're sitting next to me today. And can I have a piece of gum? Ask them for a piece of gum or something that they can, a little church candy or something like that. Did you have anybody when you were growing up in church that you knew you could go to? Maybe it's somebody in this room that always had candy on them when you were ready, that you just needed a piece of candy, always had candy on them. I had a friend of mine, his name was Mr. Moss. And Mr. Moss, uh, somebody, he's with the Lord right now. He's a good friend of our family growing up in church. And you, you didn't even have to ask him. If you kind of went up to him and tugged on his shirt, he would take out a handful of peppermints or candy and give them to you. So, so nice. I found out later that he just didn't like being around people with bad breath. So, I, you know, I don't know. But uh, no, I'm just kidding with you. Mr. Moss is a good friend. And it sure is glad. Thank you, Aaron, for the kind words and the great greeting you gave today. I'm so excited about our ladies' meeting this week. It is going to be all, Now, listen, just because... There, now, I'm going to say this to you guys for a second, okay? Just because there's a ladies' meeting this week doesn't mean that you're checking out. Because we need our guys to take care of their kids. And by the way, fathers, when you're watching your kids, it's not babysitting. It's called watching your kids, okay? That's, that's part of your responsibility. But make sure that you do everything you can to help your gals get here Thursday night. Our speaker, her name is Melissa Tucker. She is a doctor at Boyce University. She is an amazing, amazing communicator. You are going to love her. The worship's going to be all, it's going to be epic. It's going to be an all-chick band, so the girls are going to be really happy about that. But it's going to be a really special night, and I hope that you will make time and help those make time that need to be here, guys. Help your gals to be here for that. And if you have any friends, gals, please, 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 it's not going to be too late to invite people, bring a bunch of friends on Thursday night. Ladies, are you with me? Okay, it's going to be great, and I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Hey, church, I want to talk to you about something before we get into the Word of God this morning. Judges chapter 16, if you want to flip over to that, or scroll up to it, or do whatever you have to do to get to it. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, fifth or sixth, sixth or seventh book in. Uh, we've been studying it this month as we're talking about the life of Samson. And how we can be stronger. We're actually going to extend this series a couple more weeks. The Lord just put some stuff on my heart that merges right in with some of these thoughts. Um, but I want, to, I want to ask you to pray about something with me. We're starting something this summer uh, that we have not been able to do uh, in the past few years, especially with all the, the, the nightmare of, of uh, the pandemic. But uh, we are starting a, an internship program for college students. And we have hired five students uh, to work for us this summer. And really the idea of this is investing in young people that are going to be investing in our church. And we need some folks that can house them. We need some folks that will help sponsor this as well because we want to make sure that we're generous to these students uh, for participating in, in, in taking, taking part of everything we do this summer. So if you're interested in that, I want you to see uh, Nick Stewart or Kelsey Gross after church today and say, what can I do to help? And they will just, boom, all kind of stuff on you. But we need your help because they're going to be here ministering for us, with us, 
for our community so we can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll take part of that, investing in the lives of students as they're investing in our ministry. So it's going to be a great summer. I'm really looking forward to it. But before summer and after the ladies' event, Easter's coming. Can you believe that Easter's just a few weeks away? So I want you to be thinking about who, and start inviting people now. Don't wait, listen, don't wait till Good Friday or Saturday night at 10 o'clock. Oh, I forgot to invite somebody to Easter. Text send. Oh, I invited somebody. No, invite them now. Be intentional, just like Aaron was talking about. It takes intentionality. Think about some people in your neighborhood, your families and friends that may not attend a church, that, that you think may not even have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Bring them here. They're going to hear about Jesus that Sunday, and their life could change forever because of your investment in them. So start thinking about folks you can be inviting to our Easter services just, I think it's right out a month away. So let me tell you what I'm going to talk to you about today. You kind of know i got to give a little preview to it. We're going to end what's going to happen with Samson. We're going to end up, not down, but we're going to start down and work our way up, if that's okay, all right? Uh, I called my message today, Stronger Believers Understand the power of sin. Stronger believers understand the powers, of, the power of sin. Um, you know, if you're a parent, a grandparent, have any time that you've been around kids, kids don't always believe adults, do they? Like there's got to be like some major trust that can happen or some kind of cataclysmic, uh, painful event. The truth of the matter is parents, uh, uh, adults don't trust adults, okay? So let's just say that. But look, sometimes kids don't trust their parents, and, they, and, and I remember my kids are growing up, and I'm watching it now with my grandkids, we'll say some stuff, uh, and, and, and always when there's a bunch of kids, there's always a contrarian. You know what a contrarian is? They're going to do the opposite no matter what you say or do, right? In our family, my grandchild that is a contrarian is our Tory. He's our four-year-old grandson. He's the heir to the throne, the oldest boy, you know. Uh, grandchild that we have, and Tori's a lot of fun. He's a neat, neat kid, uh, lots of fun to be around, but man, it doesn't matter what you say. He wants to do, he, whatever you suggest or offer or want to do, he, he just wants the opposite. Like, even with chicken nuggets, you'll say, hey, Tori, do you want some chicken nuggets? No, I want some yogurt. Okay, we're gonna, it's, it's just the opposite, whatever the opposite is, right? Uh, hey, buddy, it's time to do this. I don't want to do that. Hey, buddy, let's wear these sneakers. No, I want to wear those sneakers. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that he's a disobedient kid because he's absolutely perfect. Amen, Hadrix. He's a great, great kid. But the, he's just, he's very individual. And I think, I think he really has, I was thinking about this this morning. I think he has a lot of uh, basic tools that's going to make him a great leader someday because he's not afraid to make up his mind about stuff. But boy, you have to talk them into it sometimes. Buddy, hey, you want to, it's, it's 100 degrees. You want to go outside and go swimming? No, I want to watch my iPad. I mean, whatever you say, he wants to come up with his own idea. And his parents know how to kind of merge him into doing what they want them to do. But as a grandparent, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, black and white. Let's get her done. And, you know, Kim is the soother. And she, come here, Tori, I got you. And I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But he just wants to kind of go the opposite way. And you know, the truth of the matter is we're really all that way. We really, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can even understand it, right? So if we understand that the Bible tells us we're all that way, when we read about Samson, it's, it's kind of easy to say, dude, what were you thinking, right? 
Why would you go through, why would you struggle with these same things? Why was lust such a strong thing in your life? Why was this such a strong problem in your life? Why was that, why, why were you such a repeat offender? Well, I don't think he understood the consequences of sin. You know, if you were to say to Samson, hey, if, if you have a physical relationship with all these women, there's some bad, some, some bad things that are going to happen. Well, I could kill 100 Philistines at a time. I can do this. I'm the strongest guy there is. Nobody can mess with me. He thought he was MC Hammer and he couldn't touch, nobody could touch this, right? So when, when you understand that as a stronger believer, right? Now, now there's, there's, there, there's, a, there's a descriptive word in there that I want you to kind of grab onto, the word stronger. And that's been the title of this whole series, stronger believer. A stronger believer helps us understand there's also what? Weaker believers, Right? Now, a strong believer, let's go back, let's take off the, the, the descriptive word and just use the noun, the believer. Somebody that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You believe that God sent his son Jesus to this world so that we could have our sins forgiven. And he did that by sacrificing his own life to pay for everything that you ever did wrong, everything I ever did wrong, everything the whole world ever did wrong. He took the burden, right, of sin on his life so that we could have a personal relationship with God. We can have a personal relationship with God because God sent his son to die for us so that we can be forgiven. If you're thankful for that, say amen. amen. That's a believer. So if you believe in that, it doesn't matter uh, if you've taught, if you've been in a life group, if you've helped out in church, if you've given money in the offering, if you've done all the things that people say that they do. A believer is simply somebody that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But now we'll look at the descriptive word now. There's weak believers or immature believers. And an immature or weak believer should be somebody that's saved for a very, very short period of time and they don't get the whole program yet, okay? And I'm not talking about churchianity. I'm talking about discipleship and being a true follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus means he's in front of you and you're going the same way he's going, okay? You're, follow, you're patterning your life after the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter two, let this lifestyle be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He did that for you. Amen, church, come on now, right? That's, that's wonderful. Now to think that he did that for all of us, at that moment that you become a believer, Believe on the Lord, Acts chapter 16, when the jailer saw all the Christians leave prison because God sent an earthquake and destroyed the whole prison, the prison guard was going to kill himself, and he said, what do I need to do to be saved to Paul and, and, and to Silas? And in Acts 16, 31, it simply says this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you have that this morning, you're a believer, say amen. amen. Okay. Now, a weak believer doesn't understand obedience yet, doesn't understand discipleship quite, maybe doesn't understand the seriousness of us being a father. They just know that they now have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we try to teach young believers is, not like, ooh, 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 ooh but I'm just saying what we try to teach young believers is, uh, is, is this process, this lifelong process that we're supposed to be engaged in, in becoming more like Christ. That doesn't stop five years in, it's not like paying off your mortgage. Hey, I'm 30 years saved. I got the whole thing down, right? You are in a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ, okay? So 
for me to look at you and say, Madison, you're a strong believer. I, I, I believe Madison is because I think that the Bible says, by your fruits you shall know them. And she's exhibited those things. And she's getting married in May, so help this girl out, okay? She's getting married in a few months, and she's busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. But she's a great girl. So I would look at her life and say, you know what? She's probably a strong believer. Maybe somebody says that about you too. But if it's by our fruits or by our works, we're made known, right? Would you consider yourself a strong or a weak believer? And you just ask yourself that question. I'm not going to do that. So strong believers understand the power of sin. Let's talk about the consequences of sin. And there are some things that happened um, to Samson. We read some of this last week, the consequences, the physical consequences of his sin. And they really parallel the consequences of sin that we have in our life. This is a really neat study. And I hope, that you, I hope you grab something from this today. But let's talk about the consequences of sin. Here's the first thing. Sin blinds. It blinds us. In, in Judges chapter 16, verses 19 through 21, we read the story, and we're going to kind of incrementally go through the story. She lulled him. This is Delilah. When it says lulled him to sleep on his knees, she used her womanly ways to get what she wants. Okay? That's just what it was. She lulled him to sleep, probably stroking his hair that wasn't going to be there much longer, speaking into him. We do believe that in reading this passage that Samson was probably inebriated. But it says that she lulled him to sleep on her lap and called for a man and had him shave the seven locks of his head, right? Broke the last piece of the Nazarite vow. He wasn't supposed to touch dead things. He wasn't supposed to be drunk or touch uh, any kind of alcohol. And he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. That was the three things that Nazarites had to commit their lives to for the calling that they had on their life. We, we talked about it a few times that, that, that Samson did touch something dead when he went back to that lion and ate the, the honey out of that dead lion. We remember that he did have a problem with drinking. And then this last thing here that he did when he... Um, told Delilah after she kind of schnookered him a little bit about his hair. They cut his hair and then he had totally broken the entire commitment that his life was given to God at a very, very young age. So the Bible says the guy shaved his head. Then she began to torment Samson and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I'm going to go out as before like I did every other time and shake myself free. And then that tragic, tragic verse we spent a lot of time talking about last week, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Ah, just awful, awful, awful. Then the Philistines took him, and the Bible says they put out his eyes, brought him to Gaza. They bound him with, with uh, handcuffs or bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Here, and here's, here's what we understand. Physically, literally, in this story, the Philistines, because of Samson disobeyed. He sinned. And the, the Philistines didn't do this because God told them to. The Philistines do this because they could. They put his eyes out. Can you imagine getting your eyes gouged out? Did you ever see fight scenes like from John Wick or like those really violent movies of fighting and stuff that my wife likes to watch? When somebody, when they're fighting, right? And then somebody reaches up with their thumbs and they try to, they try to like go inside your eyes and they're coming up and they're blind, they're bleeding. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. All that. Oh, that's really, really gross. That's what they did to Samson. Now, whether they used uh, some kind of metal and poked his eyes out. I remember when I was a kid, I was playing baseball, and I had a foul tip, and it went off my eye, and it scratched my cornea, and I had permanent damage in many ways, but in my one eye, I had permanent damage. 
And, um, and it was scary, and it hurt, and it was bruised for a long, long time. He had his eyes poked out. So he was blind. So, so literally, Samson was blinded by his sins. And I believe that the same thing happens to us when we fall into sin that we know better at. Like, and I think that there's, I, I, know that when, I, I know the thing about sin is God sent his son Jesus to pay for all the sins of the world. And, and as Christians, maybe as a strong believer or a weak believer, we're really good at rating people's sins. Right? Like, we'll look at this sin, and so, oh, you know, I can understand that. That's not so bad. And then we have the gasp sins. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Oh, right? Trying to speak into our own maturity. But the Bible says when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, even though we're trying to make ourselves look wise, we really come across as fools in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So here's what happens to our lives when we fall into sin that we know we shouldn't fall into. Here's the first thing. Sin will destroy your senses. It just, Samson lost all his senses. He just lost all his wit, all the stuff his parents taught him, all the stuff. Now, if he was a Nazarite, he was discipled and taught the Nazarite race. He set all that stuff aside to do what he wanted to do. And this sin that he fell into dulled his senses. The second thing is, when you kind of are back, when you're falling and falling deeper and falling deeper and falling deeper and don't realize how far you are in this sin that you know you shouldn't be into, but you do something the Bible tells us not to do in the book of 1 Thessalonians where it says, quench not the Spirit of God, which means don't say no to the Holy Spirit when he's convicting you of your sin. You don't realize how far you are away from God. Like Samson, so he said it in that passage of Scripture. He said, I'm going to get up, shake these ropes off, and I'm going to go out and kick some major Philistine booty, right? He wasn't able to do that because he was blinded to his own sin and blinded to his consequences. Samson, the Bible says, the Spirit of God left him, and he was so far away from God that he didn't even realize it. Their goal wasn't... Now, now here's the thing about sin and the, and the blindness that took place in Samson's life. The poking out of his eyes, their goal wasn't to make him blind. Their goal was to destroy his life and humiliate him. That's exactly what Satan wants to do to you and I when we fall into sin. See, what he does is he, he, he tricks us the Bible says he walks around this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. Like he wants to jack your life up so bad so that you get to that point of no return. He loves it when people ruin their families. He loves it when people go farther than they should go. He loves it when people kind of get stuck and, and are so far away from God. This story of Samson, he loves this story. He was right and he was the architect of all these things because here's the truth about Satan. As awful and as cunning as he is, he's very, very smart. And he knows every single one of your weaknesses. And he's not going to hit you where he hits me or hit you where he hits Samson if you don't have the same makeup or the same psychological build or the same, uh, the same temptations. But what he is going to do, he's a tactician. He's going to figure out how to fight you and he's going to hit you where it hurts. And that's what he did to Samson. And because Samson fell into that, his, it, he, didn't, he wasn't just blind, as, you, as we continue to read in the story. His life was destroyed. And here's the thing. God's protection. Now, here's something we all have to understand. This is a big, big deal about being a believer in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying right now, you hear this this morning if you know Jesus. Nothing that Satan can do can take Jesus away from you. Amen. You can't lose something that you didn't pay for. 
You can't lose. God's not going to change his mind. God's not slack concerning his promises, the Bible tells us. And listen, I'm a guy, I needed convincing over and over and over and over and over and over again because I remember when I gave, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 12, but I didn't live real good from the time from I was 12 till I was about 21, 22 years old. And I remember, well, yeah, about 21, 22. My wife will say 45, but really about 21, 22 years old. And I can remember, I, I, I remember when Mr. Caroselli opened up his Bible and this Bible club thing that we were doing, and I, and I understood it, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. But that's as far as I, I got baptized, but that's as far as I grew. And then I was just wandering, just wandered, bitter, mad, let other people's stupidness make, make excuses for my poor behavior, all this kind of dumb, dumb stuff that I did in my life. And, and, and I was like 21, 22 years old. I, I really started to understand God's presence in my life, and God was really, he was just chasing me down, chasing me down, and he did that because I was one of his children. He came after me, and he reminded me that he was my Savior, and he reminded me that I did belong to him, and I prayed, and I asked God to forgive me, and I, I kind of felt, did you ever ask God to forgive you of sin, and you can't remember it all, and you feel bad because you're really not specifically naming everything? So you do one of those prayers like this, dear Lord, please forgive me, of all of my sin. Then you're like, man, that feels like it's not enough. Did you, have you ever felt that way? I've done so much. I don't know if one prayer for everything I committed really covers that. I, I even prayed that prayer when I read it for the first time in Psalm 51. God cleanse me from secret faults, like stuff that I forgot about and even stuff that I don't even realize that I did wrong. And then over and like every day, I woke up the next day and I actually asked God to forgive me of my sins, come into my life and save me every day for about a year. So I was like mega saved. Like I got saved like 300 times in one year, right? But the truth of the matter is I was a child of God. And the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, that God did all of those things. And I'm paraphrasing this because I want you to read it. God did all those things by sending his son, forgive us of our sins, and all those things so that you would know that you have eternal life. Not that you would worry, right? When we're, Jesus said, when, when you know him, when you're one of his followers, you're in his hand, he's in the hand of God. Ephesians tells us that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. I'm saying all this emphatically because all of us probably struggle with this doubt thing. Does he really love me? Like, is it that easy? And I get that because that's an area in my life where I struggled for a long, long time. But the, the, here's, the, here's the understanding. Just because God removes his protection from you doesn't mean you're not saved anymore. He allows the consequences to come into your life so that you will hit rock bottom, so that you will understand that you need to ask for forgiveness. It's kind of like an umbrella, right? Umbrellas don't work when they're in the car. Have you ever left your umbrella in the car and you go into a store, it's pouring rain, and you're like, dang it, I wish I'd have brought my umbrella with me. Because that umbrella does nothing for you unless you're holding it in your hand and, it, and I use a golf umbrella because I want to hit every angle of my body. I got like a really big umbrella that we like to use. We were in New York City one time, and we looked at the weather forecast. No rain. And I think the weather people kind of had a little, a little gig going with the umbrella people because we weren't there an hour. And when you're in New York City, you're walking around all day. You're walking, walking, subway, walking, walking, walking. It just started pouring rain. In. And then all these carts came out, umbrellas, $35. You know what I'm saying? Well, you got to get an umbrella. You're going to be such. So we bought a $35 stinking umbrella, and it was one that would cover like somebody like five foot one, 110 pound, Madison type of person. 
right? So we had to buy two umbrellas, 70 bucks. Like an hour later, it was done raining. But when it was raining, if I didn't take that umbrella out and hold it up, I wasn't protected. If I, if I open the umbrella and hold it over here, I'm not protected. But ready for this? But when I'm under the protection of the umbrella, I'm protected. When I'm under the protection of God, that means I'm obeying his word. What does God do? When you obey him, he blesses you. When you disobey him, guess what happens? You're not under his protection anymore. Doesn't mean he don't love you. Doesn't mean he changed his mind. Doesn't mean he's ticked at you. A lot of people think that God's mad at him every day. He's not mad at you. Tell somebody you're sitting next to you, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you. And he, and he allows some of these consequences to take place in our life so that we will what? Go and ask for forgiveness. Get under the protection of God's will in our life, right? God's protection will cease unless you come home. Here's number two. Sin blinds, but sin also binds. They bound him with chains. Judges 16, 31. The Philistines took him, gouged out his eyes, brought him to Gaza. They bound him with handcuffs or bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Sin, sin's rewards, listen church, sin's rewards are not freedom. They're not now, we think, you know, God gave us this opportunity, privilege of free will. He gives you the ability to make your own decisions in your life, and they have consequences, don't they? If you do the right thing, he's going to bless you. If you mess up, you're, you're going to miss the opportunity to be blessed by God. And, and here's the thing. God, in his word, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, in every one of his books you can read, God warns us of sin's consequences. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Then he gets real general with it to kind of blanket everything. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also what? Reap. So whatever you're putting your life into right now, that's what you're going to get out of it. Whatever you're investing in right now, your time-wise, that's what you're going to get out of it, right? God warns of sin's consequences. Satan, or excuse me, Samson didn't realize the trap that he walked into. Listen to this verse out of Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 26, for by means of a harlot. Now, in Judges chapter 16, it said in the very first couple verses that Samson went to a harlot, right? Her name was Delilah. It says, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. That's not exclusive. Listen, that's not gender exclusive, right? It doesn't mean that just women act that way, and just men suffer the consequences, okay? You understand the age of the Word of God. You understand that some of this gender fluidity that's in our world today, it's so weird. So weird, right? And, and we're just supposed to love people. We're not supposed to judge people. We just love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. But I, I don't, we don't understand all that stuff. But so what's in the Bible, people say, well, that's a contradiction because not just, yeah, sure, women struggle with lust, Right? As much as men struggle with this idea of, of, of this temptation that this adulteress put in their life. But let's be real honest about it. There's probably a lot more female harlots in the world than there are male harlots in the world. Is that okay to say that? Does that offend anybody? No, I know a lot of male prostitutes. I don't think we're going to say that, okay? <laughs> but stick with the principle of the verse. Don't get caught up in the pronoun part of this. It says that by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. What does the Bible say about sin? For the wages of sin is death. 
You work 10 hours at McDonald's today, you make 15 bucks an hour. Wow, that's your wage. That's what you get for that time that you put in at that job that you have. That's what you deserve. If they tell you you're going to make a certain amount per hour, at the end of that day, that's how much money. Or the end of that week or the end of that pay period, that's what you make. Here's the thing about sin. The wages or what we deserve or receive because of our sin, the Bible says is death. And it says this, but... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Samson didn't realize the trap that he walked into. And here's the thing. Who do you know, or maybe it's even yourself this morning, that is bound, blinded and bound, by sin's consequences? I talked to a friend this week. Somebody super close to Kim and I, whose life is an absolute just disaster. Just a disaster. Because all this sin that was in this person's life put them in a place where they're now stuck in the muck and mire of consequences. It's like they're breathing underwater with a straw in their mouth, honestly. And I, and I look at and it's a tragedy and it's a heartbreak, but church, it's also a reminder because I'm not a better person than that guy or gal. And none of us are. Sin's path always leads to consequences. You see, sin grinds. They fought, the Bible says that they forced Samson to grind grain. In Judges chapter 16, 21, they took him down again, da-da-da. At the very end, he became a grinder in the prison. I talked about this with you last week, right? He was, what he did was they bound him with chains to this big rod, this big probably piece of lumber that was attached to this big cement thing. Underneath was another cement thing. He would literally, like a, like a donkey or, or any kind of work animal, he just had to walk. And he couldn't stop walking because there were other animals on the singer. It, it would drag him along. So he had to walk and help. And what he was doing was grinding grain. And people would come in and hurl in. Oh, where are you at, Samson? Where, where, are, all the, where are all the Philistines you're beating up now? Where, where are you at now, dude? You, we got you here. You're bound up. You got no eyes. You're bald. You got nothing. You're here. You're stuck. And they, and, and they talked about him. And, and, and really, that, that's what sin, it's sin, because here's the thing about sin, church. Sin loses its luster in time. That thing that looks so good to him, when he's grinding all that grain, and he's nothing more than a beast of burden, and he looks back and he went, wow, that sin didn't keep up with the promise that it made me. Right? It's going to make me feel good. It's going to change my life. It's going to make my life better. You know, it just doesn't do that because sin's path always leads to consequences. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Here's the greatest part of what I want to talk to you about today. But sin doesn't have to have the final say. Sin doesn't have to have the final say in your life. Listen to, at the end of Samson's life. Now the lords, all the important mucky mucks of the Philistines, gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoice. They were rejoicing because they defeated Samson. And they said, our God, this non-existent piece of wood or cement-made thing, that they would give their hearts and worship to and sacrifice their babies for. All these things that these people did, believing in absolutely nothing. They said, our God, this, this non-existent piece of matter, 
has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God. And they said, our God has delivered us from the hands of our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who has multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they, said, uh, that they called for Samson in prison. And they put him out on this like stage in the stadium they were in. And he, and, and he asked them to perform for them. And, he, and they stationed him between these two pillars. And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so I can, so I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching while Samson performed. I don't know if performed. Maybe they wanted him to dance or sing or cry out. Or maybe they were just mocking him. But it was entertaining to him whatever he was doing. And then the Bible called to the, Samson says in the Bible here in verse 28. Samson called to the Lord. and He said, oh Lord God, remember me. I pray and strengthen me. Just this once. Uh, oh God, that I may... With, with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right hand and one on the left. And then Samson said, God, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed them with all of his might, and the temple fell upon all the lords and all the people that were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he did in his entire life. Here, here's the thing. Samson's greatest victory was preceded by his greatest failure. You may be in a place right now in your life where you may think that you're at the point of no return. And if that's something you believe, and if that's something you hear, and if that's something you feel, let me promise you something, because of, not because of who I am, but because of the authority of this book, that is a lie that Satan is speaking inside of your life. He wants to destroy you. And it's not always like with like a lightning bolt. Or something like really like visually dramatic. He just, he just kind of gnaws and gnaws. And a little further. And a little further. And speaking hurt. And speaking pain. And speaking lies into your life. Because he knows what's going to mess you up. He knows what's going to hurt you. And he says it over again. You can't do that. You, you, you had sex outside of your marriage. You can't do that. You've been looking at stuff online this week. How, you can't do that. You've been, you've been lying and cheating and, and, and you've been gossiping and you've been doing this and you've been doing that and, you've been, and Satan is a reminder. He's up before God. The Bible says he's our accuser. He stands before God and says, God, look what Ed's been doing. He is a jerk. He is a liar. He is this and he is this and Jesus says this. He's mine. And his sin has been paid for. And you can't get any closer to him. You can oppress him. You can speak untruth over him. But you can't get into him because he belongs to me. And maybe you think because of where you are in your life today, you're at the point of no return. You are not. God loves you so much that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He did that because he doesn't want us to bear the weight or the burden of the consequences of sin. He already knows it. And he's up in heaven right now wanting you to get back under his protective umbrella by asking for forgiveness of sin. Samson's greatest victory was preceded by his greatest failure. This doesn't mean that we can bank on future blessings from irresponsible decisions counting on forgiveness. Well, it doesn't really matter because I'm just going to ask for forgiveness and God's going to forgive me anyway. That's not how it works. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, this is such a great, powerful, powerful passage of scripture. It's about baptism. 
and it's about us understanding the weight of sin. It says this, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God could show us more and more of his wonderful grace? What's Paul, here's what Paul's saying. Do you think it's okay to just kind of keep sinning and sinning and sinning with no big deal because you could keep, I, I sinned, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to say, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I know I shouldn't be looking at this stuff online, but if I ask God to forgive me, he's going to forgive me. I know I shouldn't be you know, abusing my body in this way, but if I ask God to forgive me, he's going to forgive me. I know I shouldn't talk to my wife that way, but if I ask God to forgive me, he's going to forgive me. I know that I should be nicer to people than I am. I'm really mad all the time, but I have, I, if I ask God to forgive me, he's going to forgive me. And this is what Paul says about this. Can God give us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that you've been joined to Jesus Christ in baptism? We joined him in his death. Or we, we, were, we died and were buried with him by, by Christ, by baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may, may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we're also raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful, old sinful selves will be crucified with Christ so that sin, church, hear this, might lose its power in our lives. Here's why. What was Samson? He was a slave. What's the Bible say about you and I once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior? We are no longer slaves to sin. This is just Bible power right here, church. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... Listen to this next phrase. He is faithful and just. You know what that means? He said it, and he's going to deliver on his promises. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to do what? Not just, not just forgive you, right? How many of you husbands have said sorry to your wives over a hundred times easily? Herbert, come on. <laughs> right? Every one of you that's married has done that. And we go back, we say, it's like that song by Chicago, hold me now. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. It's hard to say you're sorry because sometimes you say it so much it loses its effectiveness, right? Well, you, you know, how many times have I heard that, you know, kind of a thing. And here's the thing about God. Once you ask for forgiveness, he forgives. Not just forgives, he cleanses you. It's gone. It's not on your account anymore. Paid for because the blood of Jesus Christ. So how should we feel about that? I'm going to read these next two verses out of order. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15. 58, and then I'm going to read verse 1557. You got me, Nikki. Solid. Thank you. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, here's the, here's the, the concluding thought here. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are not a victor to, a victim to sin. You're a victor in Jesus Christ this morning if you know him as your Savior. Don't let, listen, I get it. You're looking at a very imperfect person in front of you. Every day, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, help me. Give me strength. Help me do the right thing. Help me to be a good dad. Help me to be a good father. Help me to be a good husband. Help me to be a good granddad. Help me to be a good neighbor. Help me to be a good pastor. I pray that every single day. You say, Pastor, why do you pray that so much? Because I need that. I need that help. I know I'm weak. I know that if I'm not walking with the Lord, Satan's right there. He can't wait to get a hold of me and jack my life up because of what it would do to the testimony of Jesus. But I'm not a failure because I love the one who forgave everything that I ever did. 
I don't want to take advantage of that. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? Samson took advantage of the relationships that he had. Don't take advantage of that by just saying, well, I'll just ask for forgiveness. It's not a big deal. Listen, there's going to become a point where you get to that point of no return and you can't go back. doesn't mean you're not saved anymore. But man, living a life outside of the umbrella of God's blessing and God's protection is second best. Now, we may think that, well, I'm a, yeah, but I want experience life, and I want, to, I, want, I want to, you know, we don't love each other anymore anyway, or it doesn't matter, you know, I'm just, it's me, it's my decision, it's my life. No, it's not. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to the one who gave his life for you. Don't let sin ruin what God has planned for your future. But don't let sin make you believe that you're at the point of no return. Samson that day, just like the picture, right? Pushes these pillars down. And on that day, the biggest victory in his life was followed only after the greatest sin that he committed. So you're not at the point of no return if you ask God to forgive you. Now, there, listen, if you've, if you've messed up pretty bad, you may need some triage. You may need some help. You may need some counseling. You may need people come around you and pray, but you don't have to pay for something that Jesus already paid for in, in eternity. In the flesh, you might have to get some things worked out with your family, but God will forgive you, and he'll put you on a path so that you, he can be used by him. Yes, Samson was shamed, lost his eyes, lost his hair, lost his strength. He was humiliated, but he took... Now listen, when it says all the Lord, all, the king was there, all his crew was there, the knights of the round, like he utterly destroyed the future of the whole nation of the Philistines that day. And I wonder what God has for you once you totally submit to him. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. And your word is, Lord, when we read stuff in Psalms, and we read stuff in Proverbs, and we read about eternal life and forgiveness of sins, we get all pumped up. We're going to study some things uh, starting on Easter Sunday about end times and all that, Lord. And it's exciting at sometimes if we're a believer. It's kind of scary because all of us know people that don't know Christ. But we like the good stories. We love the, the David and Goliath stuff. We love the stories of Jesus healing that woman at the well and forgiving her of all. We love that stuff, Lord. But when we're looking in the mirror at our lives and we're comparing ourselves to Samson and to David and to Jonah uh, and to Judas and, and to guys and, and ladies in the Bible that, that just messed up, Lord. It's hard to see that. And, and, and Satan wants us to think it's all good. But, but God, you, I know you want us to know that it can be better. So I pray for every, any man and woman in this room today that's holding on to a sin, that's engaged in a sin, or maybe they stopped doing it and just need to ask for forgiveness, that they would go to you this morning and make it right and get on a path where they can make it right with their family. Maybe it's something they need to stop doing. Maybe it's something they need to start doing. Lord, I don't stand here in judgment over anybody because I know that I've got my own uh, stuff in my life that I need your help with every single day, and I thank you for it. But I pray that not me, but you, Holy Spirit, would speak, reveal, and put people on a path of change today. Hey, listen, I'm not in a place in my life where I would ever judge you, um, speak ill of anything that you do. 
it's sad, but it's true. Kind of the longer you do this, the less surprised when you hear stuff about what people struggle with. But the less surprised you are because the struggle's real for all of us. How many would say, Pastor, I need prayer this morning. Got stuff in my life that I just, I just need to make right with my wife, with my husband, with people in my life. I, I, I don't, I don't want to be somebody that's kicked to the side, away from God's blessing because of all this disobedience. I'm going to take steps in my life towards obedience. I'm going to ask God to forgive me and take some steps in my life to restore some relationships in my life that are significant. Hey, if that's true about you this morning, with nobody looking around, nobody in judgment, nobody in judgment, nobody's looking around. If that's true about you, say, Pastor, I'd pray for me. That's me. You're not saying that you're an awful, awful person. You just got stuff in your life you need to make right. That's good. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. If you're online this morning and you want to respond to that, you could shoot me an email at pastor at warehousechurch.com or hello at warehousechurch.com and we will respond to you today if you do that. But we would sure like to pray for you. If there's anything in your life we can help you with or pray with you about, you can see me after the service. My wife will be out there, Johnny, Nick, Kelsey Gross, um, and some others. We'll help you any way we can, pray with you, and just pray God's power and peace over your life today. We love you, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, forgive all of us when we take advantage of your forgiveness. You paid so much of a price to, to pay for everything to, to remove, to remove sin from every single one of us. You gave your son to do that. Lord, sometimes we take that for granted like it's not a big deal. It was a huge deal. And we embrace that forgiveness and we're thankful for it today. And some of us need to pray a prayer of that forgiveness this morning. And I pray that you would Help them, we already know you're going to keep your promise and forgive, but help them to just sense and experience your presence and draw them close to you and get them around some believers like Aaron was talking about today, Lord, with intentionality in community because we need each other. We love you and we thank you today for who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.